Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. You got the victory this morning. No devil can stop us. No man can invoke any decree against us. We are walking in God's power and God's love. And we have vision. We have wisdom. We have favor. We have blessing. It's all ours because of Jesus Christ. That's good stuff today. And uh, today we're in the Torah study in Torah portion 49. We've come a long ways. We're almost to the end of the, uh, uh, the Torah cycle that uh, starts anew just after uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is what, in about uh, 40 days or something like that. Because today is what, Elul 10. And so uh, it's the time of the shofar, and that all ties in so much with today's teaching, which begins in Deuteronomy 21.10, and uh, it's a lesson on spiritual warfare, and today uh, I've entitled the lesson, Spiritual Warfare and Winning the War Against Racism. Do you believe in that today? Come on, somebody. And uh, it's in this particular Torah portion uh, that God gives over 70 commandments, uh, which is far more than in any other Torah study we have. Uh, And uh, all of what God gives us is very practical. And we'll get to the practicality of it here in just a moment. Uh, but just uh, for those that sometimes get confused over why would we study the Old Testament and the Jewish laws and so on, because they're divine principles. And God gave all of these various laws not as a way to earn your way to heaven, but as a way to structure a godly society. All we have to do is look around today and see, man, what a culture war. There are people on the anti-God side that want to impose all kinds of laws that you and I want nothing to do with. And so why do we need God's laws? Because it's more than just getting to heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. Well, the only way we can get more heaven on earth is to do it God's way. And the more we do it God's way, uh, the better our lives will be. So commandments aren't legalistic demands that God was sorry he gave and then sent Jesus to erase it all. They're divine principles. And they teach us a value system. And they teach us a code of ethics. Whether it's a code of ethics for our own individual lives and families or for a nation. And Israel was such a nation. Besides America, Israel was the only other nation raised to be one nation under God. England wasn't, France wasn't, Germany wasn't, uh, all the countries in Asia, Africa, uh, in uh, South America. No other country was born with the idea that God was Lord. And so uh, when we apply God's laws to our lives, things work better than if we don't. Are we all in agreement? Amen. And so, just to reiterate, we don't keep God's laws to become citizens of heaven. Right? That's done by grace through faith. But we do keep God's laws to become better citizens of heaven. Yeah? Amen. So, with that understanding, uh, let's go to Deuteronomy 21.10. And in Deuteronomy 21.10... There's a powerful call to war. 
How many of you know that uh, there's spiritual warfare? I thought once I got saved, God promised me a rose garden. (laughs) Well, yes and no. God promised us an abundant life, yes? And through Jesus, we have that. But at the same time, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy all of that. And therein lies the war. But it even goes deeper than that. Because when you uh, read Deuteronomy 21.10 in the original Hebrew, there's a phrasing and a teaching that's lost in our English translations. And in the original Hebrew it says, when you go out to war on your enemies, God will place him in your hands. All right, so what is being said here? The key to understanding this is uh, being able to see that God changed the text from a plural Go back, put your high school English cap on. They're singular and plural. Yeah? And here, uh, it begins with the plural use of the word enemies. But then it uses a singular word, him. When you go out to war on your enemies, God will place him in your hand. It's an unusual configuration. And God always uses unusual configurations in Scripture to reveal a secret. And the secret here is that God is showing us one of the great lessons of spiritual warfare. He's saying that our first line of defense in the war for spiritual victory is the realization that I have met the enemy and he is us. In other words, uh, the first level and most important level of spiritual warfare begins by looking in the mirror. And we realize what manner of man or woman have I become without Jesus. And now, since we're saved, we're supposed to work out our salvation so that we understand better who God wants us to become. We're not just human beings, we're human becomings. We're meant to become someone different than we were. That's the old man, that's the old life. And all of the attitudes and philosophies and teachings and all the the actions and behaviors that we got caught up with, many of those weren't good. So we need to go through a transformation. That's what being born again is all about. The founder of Hasidic Judaism, the Baal Shem Tov, taught it this way. He describes this verse as the following, when you go forth into battle, refers to the battle with a person's evil inclinations, which is also called the Yetzer Hara. He says that no Jew has a greater, more dangerous enemy than his or hers own urge to do what is wrong. Boom. That's true for Christians too. The Christian life has no greater enemy than his or hers own urge to do what is wrong. That's why when we're fighting the good fight of faith, put up your spiritual dukes and fight the good fight of faith. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, against people out there. We're fighting against our own evil inclinations. Galatians 5 calls those things the work of the flesh. And the work of the flesh is all part of fallen human nature. Right? And this is why Jesus came to redeem us from acting a fool. (laughs) Your mama tried to train you not to act a fool. She probably did pretty good. She did the best she could. But there's certain things in our lives that need more than mama's training. (laughs) 
There's certain things in our lives we need the Holy Ghost and power. Because there's certain breakthroughs that don't come because you're more educated. And a lot of deliverance and miracle breakthrough power isn't because we're so smart. (laughs) It's because the power of God. Other rabbinical teachers uh, teach that all of this is a different saying. Uh, Well, when you go out to war is a different saying that when you were born. When you are born, you're going to have to fight a lot of spiritual battles. And it's symbolic of our life on earth. I wish it was a rose garden. I beg your pardon. (laughs) Who's saying that? Bingo. Meaning there's always going to be a good fight of faith. Hopefully we learn to do it God's way so well that we minimize the fights. Yep. But we're always going to need spiritual weapons of warfare. We're always going to have to resist the devil. You go all the way back to Adam and Eve and life on earth has been one long extended war against the works of darkness. The devil has powers and principalities and he embeds himself into world systems. This is why Romans 12 2 says, don't be conformed to the world systems. And so we have inner enemies, works of the flesh, evil inclination, Adam fell, and there's that sinful nature that's been passed along that we need to get redeemed. It needs to be sanctified. And some of it happens in a moment. And some of it takes... (laughs) It seems like it's been a long, long time. Come on, let's be honest here. There's a carnal human side, a secular side that we're still trying to purge out of our lives, scour out of our lives. There's certain appetites and cravings that are lodged in our fallen human nature that want to get us off the path of blessing. Let's not hide that. Let's be open and honest and say, you know what? And of course, if you ask your spouse, she'll tell you right off. (laughs) Honey, uh, since you brought it up, I do have a list of things that if you could get to work on those. You know, Pastor Huck's teaching on blowing the shofar, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion, so that uh, you'll change your evil ways. Sounds like a Santana song. Now, one of the 70 laws or divine principles that God gives in today's study uh, really deserves our attention. It caught my eye the moment I saw it and read it because of the current events of the day. Right now, we're in the middle of a big debate, a big conflict, lots of tension, lots of uh, bad things going on. But there's some good things going on in the sense there's a call for racial justice. That's a good thing. It's just how do we achieve it? You're not going to achieve it by burning everything down. What do you want to build in its place? I'm sure it has nothing to do with the Bible. But God has a plan for this. And it comes up today and obviously in many places throughout the Bible. We'll get to some of this today. But there's an important principle on how the Lord wants us to answer stereotypes and prejudice and bias and bigotry and racism. And notice there's, there's a progression there. This is what, everything just boiled down to racism now. But there's really levels. It all needs to be renewed and transformed. 
but just simple stereotypes. Now I'm going to say something that might shock you, so stay with me and don't leave. Don't turn me off. Racism is a sin. Shouldn't be controversial. And God wants us to recognize it as sin, just like we would recognize many things as sin. And he deals today the teaching on how to overcome the sin of racism by teaching that we need to overcome our own evil inclinations, our own sinful nature, the works of the flesh that are in us, our mindset, our opinion, our philosophy, our attitude has been tainted by the works of the devil. And we're not seeing things the way Jesus sees things. And we end up judging people and hating people for the dumbest reason of all. Because they look different. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a white side of heaven and a black side of heaven. (laughs) There's not going to be a Baptist side of heaven and a Catholic side of heaven. (laughs) Right? It's going to be one big happy family, and we're going to love it. And when we've been there together, standing side by side, no social distancing, when we've been there for 10,000 years, it'll be like we just got started. The Beatles got something right. All you need is love. So here's where the the commandment comes up in verse 8, Deuteronomy 23, 8. Remember, there's 70 different commandments. These are divine principles to have a better society. And in Deuteronomy 23, 8, God commands uh, the uh, children of Israel, and by extension you and me, do not despise an Edomite because he is your brother. Edom uh, is Esau. Jacob and Esau, even though they were brothers, they had a bad, bad sibling rivalry that passed down as a family curse. And we don't have time to get into all of that today, but God's saying, even though your Hatfields and McCoys here, you got to get over that and don't despise the Edomite. Because he really is your brother. And then look at here, do not despise the Egyptian because you were a stranger in the land. Now this is, this is an interesting one. Because if anyone had a reason to despise the Egyptians, it was the Jewish people. Newsflash, they were oppressed in slavery and bondage of the worst form uh, for over 200 years in Egypt. So this is like, if anybody had a reason to be live a ticked off and offended life, it was the Jews against the Egyptians. And yet God says, don't despise them. My, my, my. This is astonishing. In fact, if you think about it, throughout all of human history, it's a proven fact that the Jews have been subject to more racism than any other nation on earth. I mean, why in every generation is there a wicked leader that is raised up to want to bring even genocide on a particular people? But this is the devil's aim. Ever since the Garden of Eden, he's been out to kill, steal, and destroy the seed. The seed of Abraham. From Pharaoh to Haman to the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the pogroms, and with Hitler and Nazi Germany, Satan is always raising up someone to hate the Jews and to slaughter them and exterminate them. 
And you would think in today's uh, civilized world, (laughs) hatred of the Jews would kind of subside. But it's worse than ever. Because Satan's goal is to destroy Israel and nullify Jewish existence. That's the goal. So 3,500 years ago, God says, don't despise the Egyptian. We can see here that slavery isn't something new, and neither is racism. It wasn't invented in 1619. The biggest question is how the church, how believers, how you and I deal with this issue. And if we let that spirit of vengeance, retaliation, and payback to get inside of us and that becomes our motivation, then we're not walking in the spirit of God, the love of God, and the will of God. The Jews had in the natural every right, but God said otherwise. No, you don't. You better get this through your, uh, your thick skull and your flesh. You don't have the right to despise the Egyptian. You're not to seek hate. You're not to seek revenge. Even though these perpetrators committed the most heinous acts on the planet. Proverbs 20.22, you can turn over there. Proverbs 20.22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and He will deliver you. Amen. Matthew 5.44 says, I say to you, Jesus, I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's a difficult thing to do. And especially if you're sitting under 200 years of slavery and oppression and brutality from the taskmaster. If, if anybody had a, a, a gripe, they had the, they had the gripe. But, but God did something. He, he is legislating morality. So, well, you can't legislate morality. Oh, yeah, you can. Someone's morality is always going to be legislated, whether it's the Antichrist crowd or uh, the pro-Jesus crowd. Who wants pro-Jesus legislation? I see that hand, that hand, that hand. If you're listening on the podcast. God didn't want his people to become guilty of the very thing that had been inflicted on them. My gosh. There was a danger that Israel would become the very thing that they despised in the natural. And so God said right out of, no, 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 no. You're not going to despise the Egyptian. Yeah, but look at what they did. Don't despise them. And the basis for all of this is embedded in the laws of creation. See, one of the very first principles in human history is that God created each and every one of us. Newsflash. There's one race, the human race. (laughs) And there's two kinds of people in the human race. Believers in the Most High God and non-believers. Regardless of our color, regardless of our class, regardless of our culture, regardless of our creed, we are all created in His image. As the famous Mandisa and Kurt Franklin and Toby Mack song, we all bleed the same. Yeah? We all, just the same, same blood. 
We all bleed the same. And breaking Christian news, there's one cross for all colors. Yeah? One cross for all colors. Therefore, we're supposed to love one another as God has loved us. Isn't that true? The greatest expression of John 3.16 is that God loves us. He didn't say, well, he just loves this particular group. For God so loved, he got the whole world in his hands. And what we're talking about here is agape love. The highest level of love there is. We're not talking about a Hollywood love or a physical love. We're talking about agape love. For God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because we're saved, the agape love of God has been embedded in our hearts. Romans 5. Now that you have been saved, you have the love of God in you. It's agape love. It's a giving love. For God so agape that he gave. It's a sacrificial love in that he sent his only begotten son to meet the needs of others, to redeem a dying, fallen world from sin. And it's that divine love that allows us to see and appreciate the God-given value in others. Even if their skin tone is different. Oops. God wants us to see others with biblical vision. And as the blowing of the shofar happens over these 40 days maybe one of the things that we'll wake up to in the church in america around the world is that racism is sin looking on someone else because their skin color is different looking through the eyes of suspicion or with a feeling of superiority or with some kind of hate or fear is not God's way. That needs to be repented of and redeemed. God is saying, my way is the way of love. That we would have a vision to look upon our brothers and sisters with compassion and empathy. With respect and honor. Oh, come on, somebody. Well, that's just your opinion. All right, either get your scissors out and cut this verse out or believe it. 1 John 4.20, one of many. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? Liar, liar, pants on fire. That pretty much says it. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. Uh, That apostle John didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) Okay. I want to see you have that discussion when you walk through the pearly gates. How wrong the apostle John was. Look, if we think less of a person because of the color of their skin, we're repeating the sin of Miriam and Aaron. People might not know this, but Miriam and Aaron spoke out against Moses' wife because she was a Cushite. He married a Cushite. A Cushite is from Africa. Ethiopia area. 
We've sponsored many Ethiopians on Aliyah to come out of the, the, the horrid conditions they're in in Ethiopia and some of these refugee camps. And because they're Jewish believers, they're persecuted on top of that. And the Israeli government, uh, with our help, has airlifted many of them to Aliyah to Israel. So Miriam and Aaron had a problem. They had a problem because Moses' wife was black. We've had a few problems in our lifetime because I'm white and Lydia's black. I just wasn't it a couple years ago I realized she was black. We've been married 40 years, but a couple years ago, oh my gosh. For the most part, I was raised to be colorblind. Usually, if I have a problem with someone, it's because they're stupid. <laughs> they just cut me off! <laughs> Calm down, Scott. Don't get all blowing a gasket over that. But most people don't realize that because of that sin of racism... Miriam was struck with leprosy. And when I was reviewing that, it just dawned on me, how many people today are living under some form of curse or living less than what God has that they keep trying to attain, but something's blocking the blessing, and what's blocking the blessing isn't the devil. It's because you have some kind of race, racial attitude against somebody. You're despising somebody because of their skin color. And that's what's blocking the blessing. I found this little known passage from the Song of Songs. And it's so appropriate for those of us that have trouble with someone's skin color. In the Song of Songs, chapter 1, verse 5, Solomon writes this. This must be where the slogan came from, I am black but beautiful. That's in our Bible. I am black but beautiful. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. Black is beautiful. And I really believe that about you, honey. But black is beautiful. And especially now that we're all in the family of God, guess what? There's just one family. There's no stepchildren. We're all in God's family together. Skin color doesn't define our faith in Christ. This means that we've got to begin to reject any attitudes of supremacy or superiority based on the tone of our skin or our nationality or if we're male or female. It's a sin to despise people based on that. Sin, blocking the blessing. And churches have, uh, for the most part, struggled with that more than any other day of the week. Sunday struggled with that. Well, that's a black church. Stop defining things by color. Well, I talked to this black guy one time. Why does he, why do you have to use black guy? Why can't he just be a guy? I talked to this black brother. Why does he need to be a black brother? Why can't he just be a brother? Why does he got to be a crack? I mean, a white guy. Why can't he just be a brother in Christ? 
I fear that many that are trying to lead the charge in today's uh, racial equality movement don't have color blindness in mind. All you have to do is read certain websites and suddenly you find out the rest of the story is that people have communistic, Marxist attitudes and their goal is to divide, not bring together. And one of the things God hates is someone who sows discord, division, strife, and confusion. How many of you believe the Bible is the supreme authority for our lives? I see all your hands. Well, then Galatians 3 applies. And in Galatians 3.26, it says, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, you're not quite the child of God I am. No. Stop that. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, or let me add uh, uh, my own verse, there's no more skin color differences because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So God says, do not despise the Egyptian. And this is, again, pretty extraordinary because of the oppression and the slavery and the bondage. They were despised, they were reviled, they were hated, and Pharaoh even decreed his own version of Hitler's final solution and the, the act of genocide. Let's throw all the babies in the Nile River and just kill them all. That's a reason to hate. But the problem with hate is that even when Israel would have left Egypt, if they had left with hate in their heart, Egypt would still have a hold on them. Because they would still be slaves. They wouldn't be physically slaves, but spiritually and psychologically, they would still be in bondage to the past. They would still be in bondage to anger and resentment and bitterness. It would have poisoned their vision of a good future because they were still hanging on to the past. And in the end, they would have become the very thing that they opposed. The very thing that they opposed, they would have become. To be free, you have to let go of hate. Right? That's a hard truth. That's a hard saying. Proverbs 10, 12 says it this way, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Love covers it all. While I was reading this uh, and preparing these notes, I couldn't help but think about one of the greatest Americans, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He understood what we're talking about today. And, and I wonder why more people aren't invoking his vision. See, it's just eerily quiet when it comes to after 90, 120 days of the worst conflict we've seen since the 60s. And no one's talking about Dr. King. And I don't have time to get into this, but I did a lot of reading over the weekend on things that are being taught in our college campuses, philosophies uh, of men, doctrines of devils, as it were, uh, things called critical race theory. Just very complicated, very collegiate, but they're training up a whole generation. And if you look on the news clips, you don't see the civil rights era people. Because they weren't trained to handle it this way. But you see all these young kids that are probably still in college or just, you know, graduating. They're the ones screaming obscenities and racial epitaphs against anybody. 
Because they're being trained, the only way that we can ever have what we want is to burn everything down, including Bibles. Read for yourself, critical race theory. All the Ivy League schools, all the Big Ten schools, all the SEC schools, all the Pac-12 schools, all the Mountain West schools, all the schools that we're sending our kids to be educated, they're not learning reading, writing, and arithmetic even in the younger ages anymore. I've got a teacher friend that's in the Seattle school system, and she's telling me, man, they are trying to make me into this far-left progressive hater of God. Where's Dr. King? Where are the voices that love Dr. King? He said darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's Dr. King. What a creed to live by. And he was living by that despite the fact that people were trying to kill him and he had to confront all the hatred and racism face to face. But in less than 13 years, he made a difference. Under his leadership, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed, and all of a sudden, a lot of the ungodliness and unholiness that was embedded into American society began to get reversed. The curse was being reversed. He had achieved more in 13 years than the 100 years before, which is between, you know, him and Lincoln. Even back in the 60s when he led this movement, there were others that wanted to advocate for freedom by any means necessary. Burn it down! But instead of violence, Martin Luther King Jr. used the power of love the power of God, and nonviolent protesting to achieve what seemed to be impossible goals. Come on. He was the youngest person to ever win the Nobel Peace Prize at 35 years old. And he's the only non-president to have a national holiday dedicated in his honor. And he's the only non-president who has a memorial on the Great Mall in Washington to honor his memory and his vision. It was just this uh, couple days ago that we celebrated his famous I Have a Dream speech. That was on August 28, 1963. And while I was reading that over the weekend, I said, man, this is, <laughs> this is worth remembering and worth repeating. So here's just a, a little bit of it. He's standing on the mall with Lincoln behind him, and there's just a sea of people. And he said that, in a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note. Insofar as her citizens of color are concerned, instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check. 
A check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. And I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. That we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom to ring, we will let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city. We'll be able to speed up that day when all God's children, black and white, Jew and Gentile, Protestant and Catholic, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. If you believe that, give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Praise God for Dr. King's godly vision. That's a godly vision. And Dr. King always preached unity, never division. He never despised racist white people who tried to stop his movement. He never responded to racism with hate. He always responded with agape love. And he inspired many good people to do the same. And I keep wondering, all these people that have a platform on the nation stage, where are their voices echoing Dr. King's call? And then I read about some of what's being taught on our college campuses that's being kept a secret. Like right now... uh, Because so much has to happen online, the teachers' unions are trying to force parents to sign a I won't watch what goes online. Please help me. I can't watch my son or my daughter while they're online. Why not? You're teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic, aren't you? No, we're teaching social engineering. How to hate Dr. King's message. And how to vilify people. And how to come against our great nation, one nation under Almighty God. Yeah, we have our warts. Yeah, there's still work to do. Yeah, there's still uh, uh, insufficient funds for some. And we need to continue as a church to speak out and speak up and come together and show the world that that agape love of God is alive and well in my family and in my church and in my nation. I'll pray for that. Amen. So I encourage us all today to realize that racism is a sin. And if we've been caught up in judging people and shunning people and acting out in prejudice and bigotry and with a spirit of racism, let there be repentance and change and transformation. Let the healing power of God cover our nation. Bring us back into uh, out of many there is one. We can't let anger and frustration and hate and unforgiveness and the spirit of division to rule and reign. Rather, we need the agape love of God to rule and reign in our hearts. And Lord, help us to see one another as children of God, as part of the same family of God. And if you've experienced, and I know you have, some of you, the harsh and cruel realities of racism, My prayer is that God remove the sting of that pain 
and that sin that was committed against you. And I pray you don't focus on the sin and the hate and the natural feelings. Don't despise the people that did that to you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't let me be held captive by all of that. Let me be a free man, a free woman, living in the Spirit of God and according to the Word of God, that we need to love one another, that we would know that we are disciples by one thing, that we have love for one another. And that'll help us and safeguard us against becoming the very thing that we're against. Let me close with this scripture, Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, and I'll put including racism and bigotry, and stereotypes. Instead, be kind to each other. Come on, Lord. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning, and thank you for this divine principle not to despise one another, even people that have oppressed us and hurt us and done bad things against us. God, we pray for a healing in the church uh, of the sin of racism. Let there be a spirit of repentance released uh, that every church around America would rise up in love, would rise up in unity, would rise up and resist the devil and resist the spirit of division and racism. Let us be kind to one another. Let us have agape love towards one another, forgiving one another, and going on and fulfilling our divine destiny in you, hand in hand with our brothers and sisters, no matter where they came from, no matter who they are. We thank you that today is a day of a new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you receive that today, give the Lord.